Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Living with Power Hope podcast. I'm Lena Abijamra, and I'm your host. It is fun to be back with you. We are in a series, indeed, called I Feel That, embracing a biblical response to my negative emotions. And our first teaching, we started with why we feel what we feel, sort of gave you a framework on how our negative emotions even tune us into sort of what God is doing. God wants to use our negative emotions to cause us to come into alignment with Him. And so then we kind of started to going through some of the big negative emotions that all of us go through. Fear was the first one, then grief, then shame and guilt and anger and loneliness. Uh, was last week and then this week we're going to talk about insecurity i won't give you yet the 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 the, the title for next week because i want us to focus on today but let's turn to judges chapter six when i can i have tried to look at a character at a study of a person in scripture who exemplifies like anger was jonah and, uh, and to me, and we've spent a lot of time talking about Cain and Abel and the creation story, Adam and Eve, so much of our negative emotion, all of our negative emotion flows out of the fall of man, Genesis chapter three. And so we've sort of pivoted to that again and again. But this, Judges chapter six, in my opinion, is one of the best biblical examples of insecurity. Insecurity, uh, the subtitle, you know, every week I sort of give you a little tagline. Insecurity, the fruit of self-worship, the fruit of self-worship. So when we focus so on ourselves that we can't see clearly. And so we're going to look at this guy named Gideon who uh, ends up being one of the judges uh, in Israel, but but he was living in a d- difficult era. The people of Israel were suffering and they were uh, ruled by the Midianites. It was not easy days. There were days of famine and there were days of struggling to find food. Um, in some ways, you know, we're living through a difficult era, era right now, and we're struggling to get gas, so maybe a lot of similarities there. Maybe the, the illustration might fall a little bit, but most of us have meals that we eat today, but some of us are struggling for that, and there's no shame in that. Um, you know, the, the ebb and tide of life, sometimes you go through easy seasons, and, and, and I'm not in that season. I have not lived in an easy season in a very long time. If you are living in an easy season, let us know who you are. We want to encourage you and high-five you, because that is not something that I've often lived in. I live in seasons of suffering and struggle. And listen, it is meant for good. And God has used it for good in many different ways, both in relating to others, but also in understanding the Lord and leaning in uh, onto him. And so, and so bad days are good days if they cause us to uh, focus on God. And so the people of Israel and Judges, I'm going to read you a few verses and sort of give you the background in Judges chapter 6. And I'm going to go back a little, I think, let me let me set the tone from Judges 6. I'll skip around some verses, but if you follow from verse 1, I'm really going to land on 11 through 16-ish. That's the heart of where we're going to be. But it says, the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years. And the hand of Midian overpowered Israel. And because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. For whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them. They would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land. So basically the people of Israel were doing the work and then the enemy would come and eat all the food. And, um, and leave no sustenance, verse 4, and leave no sustenance in Israel and no sheep or ox or donkey for they would come up with their livestock and their tents they would come like locusts in number both they and their camels could not be counted so that they laid the, they, they laid waste the land as they came in and Israel was brought very low because of Midian and the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord and, and God sends them a prophet. I'm going to skip a little bit here and let's pick up on verse 11 with Gideon. Now the angel of the Lord in Judges 6 verse 11, and the, angels of, the angel of the Lord came and sat under a terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abazarite, 
while his son, Gideon, was beating out wheat in the wine press to hide it from the Midianites. So they were, he was trying to get food without it being taken away. So he would hide and beat out the wheat. So this was sort of his strategy. And uh, he was not feeling very confident. You're going to see his heart in a minute. Talk about insecurity. This is going to play out very interesting. So the angel of the Lord in verse 12 appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Now, you have had days like Gideon's where you hear those words and outside you're like, he is? Because it's ain't feeling like that right now. And, and so Gideon's response is exactly what most of us would have said. Verse 13, if we were in that place, same place, and many of us are in that same place, he says, please, sir, <laughs> if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? Like, you've got to be kidding me. And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now... The Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. Guys, this guy is like your least likely candidate to lead the people of Israel out of anywhere. And yet you're going to see God is going to choose. He is true. He has chosen this guy. And these are the words. This is how when God says to him, hey, he says the angel and he's like, and he's like, oh, mighty man of valor. First of all, he doesn't clearly, Gideon doesn't feel like a mighty man of valor, but Gideon is so overwrought with the state of affairs. He can't even imagine a world where God is even near them. And so verse 14, and the Lord turned to him and said, God is undeterred by our fears and our insecurities. Look at this. He says, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? And he, Gideon, said to him, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Build my clan as the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, but I will be with you and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. I'm not going to keep reading for now. I think this is good enough. The story is amazing. It goes on and Gideon asks for a sign and God gives him a sign. And Gideon's faith is still so weak. And throughout the life of Gideon, you see that his struggle is with deep insecurity. How can God use me? I'm not strong enough. I'm not... I'm not equipped enough, I'm not resourced enough, I'm not liked enough, I'm not rich enough, whatever it is that you think. In fact, here's point number one, insecurity can be summed up in the feeling that I am not enough. Insecurity is the feeling that I am not enough. Every one of us right now can think about our lives and there's an area in our life where we just feel like we're not enough. We're being asked to do something. Maybe it's your parenting and you just don't feel like you're enough and you're asked to parent one, two, three, five, ten kids. Maybe it's in your marriage and you thought you could do it, but you clearly see like you are not enough to be the kind of wife or kind of husband that you thought that you should be. Maybe it is in your singleness or in your job or in your ministry or in the task that God has put before you. And look at all the demands of the weekend. You're like, I am not enough. I don't have enough margin. I don't have enough enough prepared. I don't have enough peace of mind. I don't have enough. I am, but not just, I don't have enough. I am not enough. That's the feeling that, 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 that Gideon is struggling with. And that is in essence, what the heart of insecurity is. It's the feeling that I'll never measure up. It doesn't matter how hard I try. I'm just not going to measure up. It's the idea that I don't have what it takes to get the job done. Now I'm going to confess to you, that is a common place that I've lived. I don't know about you guys, but, but I think we sometimes we make decisions or judgments about people that may or may be, not, may be right. I mean, you, you might look at my life and think that I do so much and I'm, I've been 
again, in the world's view, very successful. And so you might assume that means that I think I can get it all done, but it's quite the opposite. It, I live and I work out of a sense that I'm not enough. And, and by the way, though God has used it as he used Gideon, it is not where he wants us to live. He wants us to live in a place where we know that God is more than enough for our not enough, but we'll get to that in a minute. But, but that sense of insecurity, if you, know, if you know what I'm talking about, you can put a, a thumbs up button or a heart button on the, on the Facebook thing. Insecurity is the belief that nothing I ever do will ever make a difference right? You know, that's really at the heart of insecurity. I mean, I, I, I said that today to my team. I had this sense, like, it doesn't matter how hard I try. It's never enough. It's never enough. It's like, it's never, I'm always going to fall short of people's expectations of my own desires and expectations. And that is rooted in insecurity and it is sin because it sees nowhere past yourself. It is the fruit of self-worship. Self-worship is the idea that I need to get it done, that I'm able to get it done. That is the antithesis of what the Christian walk is. We're going to get into what the Christian walk is, which is the opposite of that. It's that you don't have to be enough. God never asked us to be enough. He is going to be the more than enough for our not enough. In fact, the problem with insecurity, actually, let me, let, me, let me tell you this before we move on to the next point. I don't want to get ahead of myself. Insecurity, because I wrote this and I circled it, and when I circle it, it means that it's an important point. Insecurity is the sense that I have no hope for the future because of what, what I've come to believe about my past. I'm going to read that again. Insecurity is the sense that I have no hope for the future because of what I've come to believe about my past. This is an important concept because... A lot of our insecurity is, is based on past experience. I mean, if you look at, uh, in fact, I don't think Sam is watching today, but if, if, uh, if he is, then he probably can attest to that. But he started running recently. Uh, not a lot, but he, his mother enrolled him into these um, half-mile races. They're on Sundays afternoons. And half-mile might not sound like a lot to a lot of you, but it's a lot. I haven't run in a while. I've been doing the Peloton. And so I, to support him as a, as a way to support him, I told him that I'm going to start running half a mile every day. And it's a lot if you haven't been running before. So it's a lot for an eight-year-old kid. But it's interesting because eight-year-old kids who haven't experienced defeat or failure or disappointment don't have the sense of insecurity so his first race that he went to in fact that the same pattern can be said for his soccer days he had a very brief soccer career and sam would show up to soccer oblivious to the fact that he, he couldn't play very well i mean he'd never played before i don't want to say it too much you know in case he is listening but but he ruled the field in his mind he thought he was the best player the best runner and, and, and so how do people develop insecurity? Well, over time, you accrue past experience that help, that cause you to realize that you might not be the best. That in fact, even if you're trying your best, you're not measuring up. So after a race or two or three, and you realize like, I'm not coming in the top one, two, three, four, or even half. Okay, I'll, I'll leave it at that. I'm not gonna tell you the actual rating, but now, every time you go to race, there's a less of a confidence because you realize like, I don't have what it takes. I can't even hope for the future because of my past results and my past performances. So a lot of us get stuck in that. We're ruled, we're, we're completely controlled by our past so that we can't even look to the future. That's where Gideon was. Gideon was so obsessed with what had happened to them that he couldn't imagine a world where God would move them past that. His eyes were fixed on the past. They were not fixed on God. As long as our eyes are on the past, our past disappointments, our past failures, our past unexpected circumstances, the things that people have said to us that 
might not even be rooted in reality, might not even be intended to harm us, but they're said to us and they fall on our hearts and our ears based on what we have seen our past be. So, so that now we're so stuck in the past, our eyes are on the past, that we cannot even look to the future. And the way to see the future is to look upwards to God. And so again, it's not that we're looking at the past and the future. We're looking at the future through the eyes of the Lord. And so this is an important point. So insecurity, again, is this feeling that I'm not enough. And here's the second big idea. Insecurity robs us of the things that matter the most in life. Insecurity robs us of what matters the most in life. You say, what matters the most in life? It's not money. It's not you know, building a lot of houses or, or, or achieving a lot of education. You know, humanly in the flesh, the world wants us to think that if we just get enough of a salary or if we just build a big enough house or if we just get a vacation in this perfect spot or if we just marry the right person, that, then we will not be insecure anymore. But, but that's not the source of our joy. Our, our status is not the source of our joy. Our finances are not the source of our joy. Our, our accomplishments are not the source of our joy. Really, insecurity robs us of the things that actually matter the most in life. You go, what are those things? Well, well our freedom, our joy, our victory, the more way down I am with my own insufficiency, the heavier my life will feel. God did not call us to a heavy life. He called us to a light life. He says, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. He asks us to, he wants to carry our burdens so that we have a lighter yoke. That yoke is the yoke. Of, what Jesus wants to give us is, is the gift of freedom and of victory and of, and of joy and of grace and of the ability to breathe. We don't need a lot of stuff. We need him. And so the more weighed down I am with what I cannot do, the heavier my life will feel. This is where we find Gideon. He's in the, he's hiding in, in the shadows, you know, beating out the press, trying to get his food, the wheat, you know, trying to get his food. And, and he's worried about the Midianites and his eyes are on all the negative things in his life. I mean, the guy is like a typical Eeyore. He's me. I mean, I see myself so much in Gideon. And he's in there doing this, all this like like worrying and, and, and in his own, I can't do this. I'm not enough. And the angel of God comes and says to him, you are going to lead. You are this person. You've been given more. You, you've been given freedom. And he's so hung up on the past and on his own insufficiency that his life feels heavy. You feel the weight of the story as you read it. And his words are reflecting what his heart uh, is believing, which is not the truth. And so the more obsessed I am with what I cannot do, the less I'm able to fulfill my God-given calling and my purpose. When you're living your God-given calling and your purpose, you feel freedom and joy because that's where you're meant to live. But when you're so weighed down with all the things you cannot do, this was like classic Moses, by the way, in the wilderness where he was so focused on all of his insufficiencies and all his weaknesses, and yet God had so much more for him. It was only when he started to believe God and step out in faith that he was able to live the joy, the freedom of his calling. And so the more dependent I am, with my not enough, the more, sorry, the more despondent I am with my not enough, the less joy and victory I am able to experience. God has given us the gift of victory and of freedom. And so the only way to achieve that sense of freedom is to stop worshiping self. Stop assuming that you can get the job done. The odds are God has called you to a job that is bigger than you, that is harder than you can do on your own, that will require divine intervention. That's the God kind job that we've been called to. In fact, the job that God was calling Gideon to, there was no human way he could do it on his own. He didn't have the support system. He didn't have the power. He didn't have the ammunitions. He didn't have, the, he, wasn't, he wasn't trained in any kind of military strategy. And yet God is gonna call him to go into 
th this the role as the judge of Israel. And he was going to lead him into battle. And listen, it was it ended up working out not because Gideon got so good at his job, but because God stepped in. And so we're going to move into the third big idea. So first, insecurity can be summed up as the feeling that I'm not enough. Second, insecurity robs us of the things that matter the most in life. And now, insecurity isn't about more self-confidence, but about more dependence on the Lord. Really, we need to spend most of the time on this point. We can talk about all the negatives of insecurity. We all know it. We don't need to spend time there. But where we need to spend time is here, which is that insecurity is not about more self-confidence. That's human thinking. In the flesh, we think that we fight insecurity with more confidence, with more skill, with more experience, but that's not the solution to insecurity. The solution to insecurity was not for Gideon to go and, and hustle up a bunch of people. In fact, later on in his career as a military man, God would get rid of all of his soldiers so that he only had 300 men with him when he went to fight the enemy who had thousands. And here he went, how? How did he have the boldness to go? Because he was learning dependence on God. It was his the key to his victory, the key to his freedom, the key to his success was not about him becoming more self-confident, but about him becoming more dependent on the Lord. Every one of us has gotten stuck in this point before. Every one of us has gotten stuck thinking that the way to get over my insecurity is to just hustle up more, more self-talk. Lena, you can do it. In fact, I, I do this Peloton and I, I love the exercise of Peloton, but a lot of their philosophies are just plain rubbish. I mean, they are constantly trying to feed us this you can do this if you hustle enough. And I'm like, look, I've been doing this Peloton for three years now and I still get the same KCALs. I haven't changed my appearance that much. Like, like, I'm sorry, it doesn't matter how much hustle I bring to the table, like I plateau, like it is just like, it, you can bring all the confidence you want in the world to the bike. I can only go as far as my body can go. Like there's no, and yet they constantly are telling us like, if you just believe in yourself, if you just, you know, quit these negative thoughts, if you just get stronger, if you believe your true worth, and, and it's, it's not that some of this advice is false, is it falls short of our full potential, which is only rooted in what God can do through us. And so for Gideon, what he was called to do was so much greater than anything that he could muster up the self-confidence to do. And it was only when he became utterly dependent on the Lord that he was able to live in his in his calling and in his, in his life, in his uh, life purpose. So dependence on God is the belief that God is more than enough for my not enough. I love that sentence. Dependence on God is the belief that God is more than enough for my not enough. It, it, again, it, it's not that you shouldn't be prepared. I'm not against preparation. I'm not against confidence. It's that, it's, it's that if you think that your success is rooted in your ability to do things better or to do more or to work harder, you're always going to be exhausted, if not miserable. Our security has to grow from the sense that only God working through us will get the job done. One of my favorite verses is in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 3. Let me find that verse. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. Paul the Apostle had a lot of uh, prestige in his life. He was well-educated. He had been around a lot of great people. Paul the Apostle, before uh, he came to Christ, was, was very high-ranked in, in, in the work that he did. And yet he came to Christ with a strong knowledge of the Word of God, and yet he wrote these words. And of course, as a new creation, you know, as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, he wrote 2 Corinthians chapter 3, in verse 5. He says, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God. 
later on in chapter four, he says, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, not driven to despair, persecuted, not forsaken, struck down, not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. We are not sufficient in of ourselves. Our sufficiency is from God. If you and I have any hope of getting the job done, if you and I have any hope of winning victories in our life, we've got to stop working harder and we've got to start depending more. Look, I'm not saying don't work hard, but you've got to stop relying on hard work as your saving grace. It is not. All it will do is leave you more exhausted. There has to be a limit to striving and striving and striving. And until you start depending now, out of dependence on the Lord, yes, you work, yes, you prepare, but it doesn't have the pressure that it all rests on my ability to get this job done. You see, the fruit of self-worship is insecurity because it puts all of the burden on me, whereas God worship moves the burden off of me and puts it on the Lord and said, God, I know I can't get this done, but if you have called me to it, you will get me through it. This is classic. He who has called you is faithful who will do it. God said, in, I think it's First Thessalonians chapter five, it is God's faithfulness that will get us to the other side of it. And that's really what God was saying to Gideon in, in Judges chapter six. I mean, why the story is so powerful when you go through it? Because, because again and again, Gideon verbalizes what you and I feel all the time. Like, really God? Really? You think there's hope for the future? Do you not see how many disappointments I've been through through my life? Do you not see how many times I've failed in my life? Do you not see, like you told us that these things would come to pass, but they're not. Look where I am. I'm, I'm, I'm hiding in a bushel trying to get a bit of food to my, to my family. And God is like, turn your face away from the past. Turn your eyes away from yourself. Look to God. I have a plan for you. Just, and, and God is undeterred. He says to Gideon, he doesn't even stop and like, like spoon feed Gideon anything. He just moves him along and says, go and, and, and get this. He says, go in this might of yours. He calls him a mighty man of valor. Who of us read this chapter and thought Gideon is a mighty man of valor? Humanly, if you look at the story from humanized, you would go, dude, Gideon is a scaredy cat. He can't even figure out how to get through the day. And instead God sees him as his best potential. God sees him as who he is, who he's meant to be. He sees him past all of his past failures. He sees him for all that God has called him to be. And listen, that's how God sees you. You might see yourself today as like the biggest failure of all times. You'll never get parenting right. You'll never get your marriage right. You'll never get your job right. And God looks at you and he has you in your place of your calling. And he knows that you are so much more. He's calling you to more and he's asking you to do it, not in your own strength, but in his. And so when I feel like I don't measure up, I must resolve to resist the temptation to try harder to measure up. And instead, I must embrace a stillness that depends on God to, to direct my future. When I feel like I don't measure up, I must resolve to resist the temptation to try harder. We're all, all so exhausted trying harder, trying harder, trying harder. Listen, you don't need to try harder to measure up, but instead embrace a stillness that depends on God to, do, to direct my future. Be still, Psalm 46, then be still and know that I am God. That's the secret to overcoming insecurity. It's counterintuitive. And we've seen this in, in many of the negative emotions that we felt. In anger, we wanna go fix a problem. In, uh, in, in, in uh, what were some of the emotions? I gotta go back and look at my list here. In, um, 
uh, in fear. We want to go back and try to assuage our fears. And, and again and again, we have seen this model of rather than trying to overcome your negative emotion by trying harder, the key is to pause, to be still, to realign your eyes, your vision, your ears to the truth of what God has promised and what God is calling you to. And so again, rather than striving, a stillness must grow into our life and that we have to fight for that. That's where the work happens. Lastly, point number four, insecurity blinds us to the truths about who God is and what he can do. Insecurity blinds us to the truths about who God is and what he can do and what he wants to do and what he will do in your life. And, and a friend of mine today, remind me, Joy, uh, and also it blinds us to what God says about us. Insecurity blinds us or deafens us, I guess, to what God says about us. It really does. When you're listening to what other people are saying about you, you can't hear what God is saying about you. I love that verse in Proverbs 29, uh, 25. It says, the fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. Trusting God means listening to God, means listening to what God has to say about us. All day long, all over social media, all in our world is the message in our face about how we should think, about, about how we need to live, about how to be strong in self and on and on and on. And, and self just cannot get you to the place of peace and security that you're desperate for. I love Jeremiah 17. Might be worth a minute going over those verses. We don't often land in those verses, but they're just like bread and butter verses in the Christian walk. Jeremiah 17, verse five, he says, thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He's like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. That's a dry, thirsty, needy. That's the man who trusts in man, trusts in what human philosophy says. Here's the alternative. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord, not just in the Lord, trust is the Lord. God is our trust. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes, for its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. Listen, which, which one are you living? Are you controlled by what people say about you? I confess to you guys that sometimes people say things to me that ruin my day. Sometimes people say things to me that hurt my feelings. Sometimes people say things to me that make me doubt that I can do the job that God has called me to do. And as long as my ears are in tune to that voice, the voice of people, by the way, often that verbiage that comes to you out of people is driven by the evil one. He doesn't want you to accomplish your God-given calling. But as long as you're listening to the, to the voice of the world, of the, the ruler of this world that comes through a variety of means in your life, as long as our ears are open to that, we cannot hear the voice of God. It is only as we still our hearts, as we open our, our minds and our hearts to the word of God. That's why we keep meeting on Thursday nights. That's why we haven't abandoned the study of the word of God. That's why even if everybody thinks it is uncool to open the Bible and to read it, we will hold up this word and we will live under the authority of the word of God because we need the truth. And this is a book that tells us the truth. In fact, it is a God-breathed book. I believe that God gave us this word to know him. And in knowing him, we can know his plans for our life. And when we read the things that we've read tonight, how can we not realign our perspective to who he is and what he wants and what he has said about us so that while you and I might feel like Gideon indeed defeated scared unable to not enough God speaks to us the truth and he says oh mighty man or oh mighty woman of valor you may say man I don't feel like that 
God says it's not about how you feel, it's about the truth of who you are in Christ Jesus. You are a child of the King, you are beloved, you are a treasure in his eyes. He's got a plan and a purpose for your life. Those are not motivational sentences meant to encourage Christians in the church. That is the truth of God. You can find verse by verse how God has a plan for your life. He has called you. I love Ephesians chapter 2, some of the best verses about salvation. But it goes right on. It says, for by grace you've been saved through faith, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should uh, walk in them. Where's that verse? I was thinking of a, a, another verse. Uh, him who, who he glorified, he, hang on. I think that's in Romans. I've got to find a verse I was looking at. Um, uh, da, da, da. Oh, here we go. Yeah. Romans 8. So for, for we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to all who are called according to his purpose. This is what I was looking for. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. God says about us that what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, what can be, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Listen, it is not about us getting things. It's about God giving them to us. It's not about us working harder to attain the goals we want. It's about God stepping in and giving us the goals he has for us. Why? Because we are beloved in his eyes. Because he has a plan for us. Because before creation was, even before we were in our mother's womb, he had a plan and a purpose for our life. So that when you feel daunted by all that needs to happen in your life, as I often get daunted, whether it's three squirrels in your attic or whether it's much more serious things than that, you can stop and look at this conversation between Gideon and God and you can see the words that God uses. God doesn't, he says, go in this might of yours. He says, and you go, what's the secret? Well, verse 16, I will be with you. This is the same thing he told Moses in Exodus chapter, I think three. Moses was called to go back and lead the people of Israel. He was so afraid and God says, listen, I am going before you. Uh, Deuteronomy, I have a verse here, I, I jotted down uh, about the same topic here. Now we'll be wrapping up here and praying, but we had a little extra time today, so why not spend time in some of these verses, some of these truths of scripture to remind ourselves of who we are. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse nine, or verse, uh, verse eight, it says, it is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Oh, you want a paragraph. You want verse after verse after verse of encouragement. Joshua, Joshua was the guy who came after Moses. He should have had every reason to be confident and he wasn't. And we know he wasn't because in Joshua chapter one, over and over again, God says to Joshua, do not be afraid. I am with you. The secret to Joshua's success, the secret to Joshua's confidence was not that Joshua was a mighty man of, 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 of war. It was because God went before him and was with him. The secret to your and my confidence is the fact that God's presence is with us. If you feel like you're not enough, listen, there's no greater, no greater truth than the truth that God's presence is with you always. Stop striving. Be still and know he is God. We don't need to do anything in our own strength. In fact, the minute we start doing it in our own strength, we will likely fail. The more focused I am on my inadequacies, the less I'm focused on the beauty of God and all he has done for me so far. The more inward my eyes are fixed, the less outward my vision can extend. The more I commit to worshiping God, by the way, this is the secret right here, the more I commit to worshiping God, the less I have space to worship my own self. Self-worship 
leads to insecurity, leads to exhaustion, leads to frustration. But worshiping God takes our eyes off of our past, off of our inadequacies, and fixes them on the truth of who we are in Christ and what God longs to do in us.